Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And today I have a different kind of case for you. This is like a, was this true crime or was this a freak accident? I am so excited for this one. And I will tell you at the end all the theories. You can decide for yourself, I suppose, what you believe think is the most believable. I have a hard time with what the authorities think is the most believable, mm-hmm. given the circumstances, but... If, oh, I'm going to be giving you my two cents. If you, I'm going to take them. Yeah, rest assured, it's coming. <laughs> if you have never heard of the Dyatlov Pass incident, as it is known, then you're in for a real treat today because there, unfortunately, there are nine victims, but the circumstances surrounding their death is chilling. It is. Gives me chills. It is crazy. So I'm just going to jump right into it because I'm actually really excited to tell everybody this story. I'm Not excited. in like a creepy way, in just like a, at the end of it, I the first time I read about this story and then um, as I was researching it and finding more and more stuff, I'm just like, I, now I want to do more cases like this mm-hmm. because it was just so fascinating to be like, wow, really? But then why? But why? And I, why did they do this? And yes. Then, I remember, so. I, and I don't know all the details, so I'm excited to hear more, but I remember hearing the gist of this case a couple years ago, and it's just yeah. one of the, it's chilling. That's it the best word to describe it. So this, this actually happened quite some time ago. This takes place in 1959 when a group was formed for a skiing expedition, and they were going across the northern Urals in the Soviet Union. Okay. Now, according to documents that were found, Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnic Institute, um, which is now the Ural Federal University, was the leader who assembled a group of nine others for the trip, most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. Each member of the group, which was eight men and two women, were experienced hikers and skiers we're talking they do them by they have like a grading system Mm -hmm. and they're like grade two hiker ski tour experience this entire trip was for their certification to take them to the third grade okay and i not the third grade in grade school to take that i need (laughs) to thank you for clearing clearing clarifying (laughs) to take them to a grade three certification so once they hike Hiked this mountain. Oh, then they're like, you pass. You yep. passed. Yep. Then you are passed, and and that that is how they do these different certifications. So, like, if you know how to to navigate these different places mm-hmm. and tundras, whatnot, then You're, this is you how go you go to it. the you next pass. level. Mm-hmm. You you pass go. You collect two hundred dollars. You do. And so. at this time, this was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union. So the fact that they were at a level two means they are really they're experienced, good. know what they're doing, shouldn't have, they wouldn't have purposely put themselves in harm way, harm's way. These were not rookies. 
yeah, that were yeah. hiking and skiing on a, a snow mountain. Okay. Not their first rodeo. Nope, definitely not. And it required to get this highest grade three certification for the Soviet Union at the time. It required candidates to um, to trek about 190 miles. 300 kilometers, 190 miles. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. If you don't know how to survive, like you better know how to survive if you're taking a 190 mile hike. For sure. Yep. So obviously this was going to take quite some time. The route itself was actually designed by Dyatlov um, and his, his group. And they were going to reach the far northern regions of the upper streams of the Lozia River. Now, you guys, a lot of this stuff is like in Russian, and I did have to translate some things. So don't come at me for my horrific pronunciation of things, but I am straight up American. I I forgive you already. And uh, this will be difficult for me. So the route had to be approved by the commission mm-hmm. and and it was they apparently have a a committee of physical culture and sport and so they confirmed that the group of of 10 people because diet love and then his nine people that he picked they were officially approved on january 8th 1959 so the goal of the expedition was to reach the otorton mountain okay, okay. that was actually the otorton mountain ends up being 6.2 miles north of the site where the incident occurs. So they really they were, were not far. Yeah. Yeah. In the grand scheme of, uh, you know, all of those many miles. 190 miles. They were on home stretch. They were. They were. That makes and me even more sad for them. <laughs> me too. That's what I thought too. The route that they took was, at, at that time, given the weather and whatnot, was definitely the most difficult time to go traveling through it. Okay, because February is well known in this area for the route that they took to be like, okay, they knew when they're that close, when they're 6.2 miles away mm-hmm. from Otorton Mountain, this will be the hardest part of their trek in February. Okay, it's oh, going to be, okay. it, was, it, was, it was known that this was going to be the most difficult climate-wise and what whatnot. Mm-hmm. On January 23rd, 1959, so they were just approved on the 8th, now it's the 23rd, they were issued their route book, which listed their course following the number five trail at the time, like, because you, you may be wondering, like, oh my gosh, how do you hike 190 miles? You know, there are, there are trails outlined for this, so they're on the num- number five uh, trail. And on January 25th, 1959, they took a truck to a lorry village that is is the last inhabit, uh, inhabited settlement of the north. So, like, January 25th, they're in the last, like, area where they're going to see civilization. Okay. While spending the night, um, they purchased and ate loaves of bread, kept their energy levels up for the next day. Day one of the, and I will get to the names of everyone. It's just they're very difficult. And I promise you that when you listen to them about the fourth one in, you're going to stop listening because their names are so complicated. Ah, gotcha. Yep. So that's why just right now I'm just kind of lumping them all together as a. As a team. Yeah. A hiking team. team. A hiking team. Exactly. But one member on January 27th, they began their trek toward Otorton Mountain. But on January 28th, one member, Yuri Yudin, had actually suffered from some several health 
ailments, including, uh, including a congenital heart defect and some other things. He turned back to due to knee and joint pain that made him unable to continue the hike. Oh, wow. So... Wouldn't have he? Wouldn't he have had to go back quite a ways too? Or were no, there like... he went back to the Lori Village okay. that they had just left because they were there. They were at the Lori Village on January twenty fifth, and on the twenty seventh they stayed there for two nights. On the twenty seventh they began their trek. They were only one day in, and he's like the twenty eighth. He's like, yeah, he I'm out. out. I can't. I yeah. knowing this is how I feel, and if I get any farther, this is the last inhabited village. I gotta go back to mm. the village. So I'm with him on this one. For sure. You know, he had a decision had to be made. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Yuri is the only survivor here. Oh, wow. So he's the one that went back and he he survived. And he survives. Yes. Because he went back is why he survived. I am with Yuri on this. He's probably congenital heart defect, my knees and joints. I'm aching. Yep. Because he had um, some rheumatoid arthritis. Gotcha. And they're young, but it was early onset for him. And, you know, he had some health problems. This is the kind of stuff he was doing all the time. I'm sure that his body was, you know, getting a, I was going to say a pound in, but I probably shouldn't (laughs) say that. So he was getting worked. We're going to breeze past that one, Amber. (laughs) No, I'm leaving that one in. That was funny. His body was being worked to say the least. It was. It was being worked to the max. So then the remaining nine hikers continue the trek on, on mm. January 28th. That's the last time that Yuri has contact with the group. Wow. That's also chilling. Like he, mm-hmm. he could have been a oh, victim too, yeah. but he turned back mm-hmm. and he that, was the only one that survived. That always is astounding to me. Yes. Like, oh. He did mention though later in the investigation, he did mention he felt like they, they were all like at a bar eating and whatnot on the 25th. And he felt like Igor Dyatlov, that he was talking to somebody in the bar, and it really felt like that person was warning him about something. Oh, wow. But he didn't know the specifics of their conversation, but he just got the feel for their body language and whatnot and was like, I feel like he's telling us to be careful about something, but Igor will tell me what it is later. He never had that conversation with him, so he's not sure what the villager had actually been warning him about. Wow. Just something hindsight. You yeah. look back at it, you're like, oh. You're like, oh. oh. So there were diaries and cameras that were found around the last campsite, which I'll I'll get to more specifics in a minute, but it made it possible to track the, gr- the group's route up to the preceding day of the incident. Okay, so we know on January, I just wanted you to know like where I'm getting my information from because mm-hmm. I don't want you to be like, okay, if Yuri left on the 28th, then how do you know on January 31st? It's because they kept diaries. Okay, And they gotcha. were able to recover them. On January 31st, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. They were in like a wooded, vi- wooded valley. They had a surplus of food and equipment that would be used for their back trip. I mean, those are things that you don't think of. Mm-hmm. You're going up, then you you're have coming to go back. back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next day, I mean, I know I just sounded really dumb right there. Like hikers obviously think about that stuff, but they, I wouldn't. Right? Like I just wasn't. I don't do 190 mile an hour. Or mile an hour. I I don't I do that. Wish either. you did. <laughs> I would get I, to the top and be like, so now what? That was easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> Who's coming to get oh us? Lord. With um, trophies. 
It's it's nighttime. <laughs> That's why you're getting crime curious at night. Yes, is very after a different. long day's work. That's right. The next day, the hikers started to move through the pass, which is now called Dyatlov Pass. It wasn't called that at the time because of this incident. Now it's called Dyatlov Pass. Oh wow. It seems that they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on on the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, snowstorms, and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west toward the top of another like little mountainous area that mm. I won't even attempt to pronounce because I will make a mockery of all Americans in English language. So they got off course of their... A little bit, but on purpose. Okay. Like they got, a, they camp. knew they were off course and they were tracking it. Um, I see. Because of the worsening weather conditions. Okay. So they're trying to kind of get away from the yep. weather. Yep. Gotcha. And make it, you know, safer, but they're, they're documenting it all so that they know how to get back to. Okay. When they lost their direction and they had deviated west a little bit, they realized that they had made a mistake and went too far west. Because again, they're like I said, they're tracking everything. So then they realized they're able to realize like, okay, too far. They just decide like, you know what? We're going to set up camp here on the slope of the mountain rather than lose all of their progress going up the mountain. So they deviated west and they knew they were they were trying to navigate around the worsening weather conditions. Okay, uh-huh. But they didn't mean to go as far as they did. So they're like, okay, we've... We've realized our mistake. We've gone too far. But instead of getting themselves back on track and lose it because they'd have to go back down the mountain, and it it would lose almost a mile of progress that they'd have to make up for the next day. Oh, I see. They're just like, we're going to camp here and then forward ho tomorrow. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so they're on the slope of a mountain rather than if they had went back down about a mile, it would be more of a forest area that would have have offered them some shelter from the weather because this is January and early February in the mountains, in the mountains of Siberia. Okay, this just screams avalanche. Yeah, it's not. It's not for me. No, hard pass. You will not find it's a hard pass. Yuri Yudin. All he could do at this point later on is speculate, but he said Igor Dyavlov probably did not want to lose the altitude that he had gained, so he decided to practice camping on the mountain slope instead. <laughs> I want to note that they were hiking to Mount Oriton, which means literally don't go there in translation. Oh, God. Yeah. I just felt, I found that interesting tidbit and was like, oh. And that's we, where they were. Headed. That is where they were headed. To a That's place that by the ancient people, which there are still some Mansi tribe. So the natives, ancestors were like Yes. Do don't don't go here. Yep, they're the ones like, the Mansi tribe is who named that mountain. Don't go there. Wow. Like if you don't learn anything from your ancestors. Come on, guys. Right? I I'd be good. I'd hear would. that and be like, you know what? I'm good. Mm-hmm. I don't need to no, explore further. So many people had went before them and got their certification. Mansi tribe translation be damned. Mm-hmm. So they're they're like, they're well, like, we can do fine. it too. Yeah. And then even more interesting, the slope, the bottom of the slope um, that they were camping on that night, that mountain was actually called the Mountain of the Dead. Oh, just so many. And eerie, that wasn't a translation things. that they actually knew. 
Like that was not a that wasn't a Mansi tribe translation. That was just legitimate. Like, oh, we're on the mountain of the dead. We're I gonna camp here. Feel like you're literally like putting together a recipe for absolute yes. disaster. Just give me a little bit of um a sprinkle of it, eye doom. of newt. <laughs> I need some eye of newt. <laughs> That's what we're missing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh so. They were all in good spirits from what they could tell from their last diary entries. They had even made up their own little newspaper to like pass the time. And one of the titles on it was, well, now we know snowmen exist, which later there's some speculation of, did they see something that makes them think that a Yeti is a real thing? Oh. Because that was the title of one of their little newspaper, their fake newspaper. So maybe that they saw something. Yeah footprint or you know big branch broken or they heard uh-huh something or saw something you just never know you, or did you they don't really know. see a yeti right right but that's what the title the title the headline was interesting well, now we know snowmen exist yeah so i do want to make note too that although siberia is known for common avalanches this particular place had not had one in a really long time but these are experienced mountain ski hikers and they should have known that it's really not a good idea like camping 101 it's not a good idea to set up camp on the bottom of a slope I was just gonna say I know nothing about it and even when you said slope I'm like "Mm, I would pass on that one yeah the biggest reason is because it's actually colder at the bottom of the slope so you know keep in mind it is this is Siberia, and this is February. And the night of the incident, the weather was negative. I have it here. It was negative 24. Oh. So it just seems wow. like, it's like, that's odd that they would have chosen that particular area. Especially, like you said, being experienced. And they're like, mm, this seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. You know. But with some experience can come arrogance. True. Maybe they're like, we've got this. Yeah. We're experienced. We're experienced. Yeah. Yep. And it, I mean, not to be sexist, but it was led by a group of, you know, eight men. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking Two women. (laughs) So. I'm sure we know who wanted to go back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, can we travel back down that mile to the trees where it's warmer and safer? Yeah. No, no. Oh, okay then. And it's 1959. Women have no voice. Oh, for sure. Oh, uh, yep, yep. They it was were, probably like the Rudolph making mo- the movie soup. when they're like, this is men's work. For sure. For sure. <laughs> do you remember that? Make me a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Be gone. This is men's work. Yes, I do. <laughs> so. Goodbye, Rudolph's mom. It's so, that watching that movie yes. again, oh my God, it's so you're just like, how is this ever okay? Mm-hmm. And then we got to watch it when we grew up, like as we we're growing yes. up, like this is normal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these toys got cast away to the island of misfits because they're deformed and not they, good enough. Right, because they have disabilities. It's horrible. It is. It's it so really bad. Is a horrible. We thing. watch it every year. We but. do. do. <laughs> but now I I draw attention to yes. the problems of it. Anyway. I did. It's funny that you say that because I did think of Rudolph when I was writing this script too with the Yeti and stuff. Yes. And I was like, oh, Bumble's bounce. I picture them like yeah. licking the sickle. Yes. Like uh, Yukon Cornelius. Yes, Cornelius. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that is oh, like the group that did. I'm picturing. Oh, yeah, right for now. sure. 
It really does have a Rudolph. It really yes. feel with the mountains mm-hmm. and the the yeah. yeti. Mm-hmm. The yeti. <laughs> so on February twelfth is actually when the group was supposed to make contact with, the, you know, Yuri who was sick and with family and friends, but when they didn't, uh, because the last time that he had seen him was the twenty eighth. Remember. When they didn't, they weren't, like, super concerned at first because they're like, ah, yeah, hiking takes time. Yeah. You know, and if you had to deviate a little bit, that's going to take extra time. So we're not going to worry. Finally, on February 20th, though, they're like, you know what? This something's not right. And that's just unfortunate because the, the search and rescue started on February 21st. Okay. They didn't find their campsite until the 26th. They set up that campsite on February 1st. So they have been dead for, for 26 t- days. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the Siberian cold. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. At this point in time, the military, local authorities, and volunteers were all part of the search and rescue. Wow. So they, they deployed helicopters. Oh, yeah. They've got nine missing people. Mm-hmm. So would have been 10 if Yuri Yudin had you know, came yeah. along and I'm not going to go over their first names because their last names are hard enough, but you should just know there are three Yuri's on this trip. There were. Wow. Three Yuri's. It was apparently as popular as so John and Matt and, you know. Yeah. Like Bob over yes, here. Yes, are over here. Yep. It Yuri's, was, I like it. It's a solid name. Yep. So, so this was like a big deal. They're searching, you know, for, yeah. for nine lives and I want to take you through because this is technically, I mean, it's solved, unsolved, question mark. Okay, yeah. sure, whatever you say, Russian military. No, I'm just <laughs> I have no idea. But we're joking. If you're are, listening. Yes. <laughs> They're always listening. We love you. Mm. Love your vodka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is what they found at the campsite. They discovered the tent, but it had been shredded from the inside out. <gasps> What? They did not unzip the tent. They literally shredded themselves. The tent was still zipped. They shredded themselves from, shredded the tent from the inside out. Half the tent did have snow by the 26th. When they found it, it did have some snow on it. Not piles and piles like this was an avalanche, so it's under snow. No, no, no. There's just a little bit on one side of it. But the other, like, that zipped is side so is still zipped inside out. Pardon me while I soil myself I, over here. Oh, that is by far the least creepiest part of all this. Mm-hmm. When bodies began to be found, and I'm going to get to each one in just a second, but they were barefoot or just in socks, and one had one shoe on. Wow. All of the footprints went in different directions, as if they scattered in a panic. And it, I do want to note here that they do believe that it happened at whatever incident took place. It was nighttime because of the clothes that they do eventually find. These are not, they weren't in their full hiking garb. Okay. They were in their, in the tent where it's warmer. Like nighttime. Nighty, nighty, nighty night yeah. Didn't okay. have their shoes on. Their shoes were in the shoe designated area in the tent. It makes it even more creepy that it was at night. Oh, I agree. So, <laughs> I already have like yes. the chills and the... Yes. So just know that, that they know 
how when they got out of this tent, it. I mean, that's the only time they would take their shoes off is to sleep. Yeah, and so... And their shoes were... They found their shoes in the designated shoe area. mm -hmm. Except for the one guy who managed to get one... One shoe on. on. I think I said already that it was negative 20 that night. Now, the first two bodies were actually found one mile away from the tent, which... How would you walk on a barefoot and socked feet for an entire mile in negative 24 temps? I don't know, but there it is. The first two found were, I'm just using last names, like I said. You can certainly look up the first names if I, you know, if you dare to read them. And I mean no disrespect to them as victims. It's just, I will do them no service by Mm -hmm. slaughtering all their names. But uh, Doroshenko and Krivilinshenko. So they're the first two. And Were I, yep, they they're related? They're not. Oh, it's okay. It's just apparently Shanko is a it's popular. A thing. It's okay. Like, you know, like the last name Davis here. Gotcha. It's, it's Smith and Davis. It's okay. everywhere. All right. But yep, Doroshenko and Krivilinshenko. They were lying perfectly side by side in nothing but their underwear. Oh my gosh. They were under a large tree. And the branches that were really high up, we're talking like 15 feet up, were broken. And were found to have human skin and blood on them. Get out. It's my house. I will not. But, <laughs> yes. It's, this is this is real life. So the, they were still in the tree. No, they were found side by side, Amber, at no, the base I'm, of the tree. I mean, the tr- like the branches, what? Yeah, yeah. On There were some, um, some of the branches that were really high up were like broken. But on the bark on this tree, 15 feet up, is human skin and blood. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Oh my god. Their hands were scratched, like scratched bloody messes, so it's obvious that they tried to climb the tree. Investigators believe that they may have been trying to see where the camp was from where they were and perhaps or perhaps look for others, but but we don't know and it, there was remnants of a small fire. Wow. So like you had time to make a fire? That's so eerie. Yeah. And they were in their underwear. Were in their, their underwear, side by side. There's an explanation. There is what I believe a reasonable explanation that we'll get to okay. later about why they're in their underwear. I will bring that back up. I'm not going to leave you hanging on that detail. Okay. Now, what is weird here is that it looks like they were frantic to get out or to get up the tree with the cuts on their hands. And I mean, it's literally leaving skin that up there. Was playing my, yeah, that was playing through my head. Like maybe they tried to climb the tree. Right. And like, it, but, but still then, that they got that far barefoot. Yep. And then they were able to build a fire. Like there was a small fire there. So like where when there's there was panic, but then it's like there wasn't. Okay. Wow. What's even more strange is that Dorinchenko had burns on the left side of his head. His ears, nose, and lips were covered in blood. He had multiple bruises and cuts on his arms, legs, and torso. And he had a foamy gray discharge on his mouth and face, which doctors later said was caused by an extreme amount of pressure made to his chest. Oh, my god! It wasn't like, um, you know, decomp, anything like that. It happens from an extreme amount of pressure. But the cut, he's got cuts and bruises. And he's got burns on the side of his head. Now, Krivinenshenko had bruises on his forehead and left temporal lobe, bruises on his chest, legs, and and hands, and there was skin missing from the top of his hands that were found inside his mouth. Oh, my gosh. 
There wasn't any bite marks. So he did not bite his own skin off. It was like it was shredded off and then found in his mouth. And he also had a burn on his left leg. Left leg. He doesn't have two left legs. <laughs> what? He has two <laughs> left legs? This is even getting more weird. No, he had one left leg and there was burns on it. On his left side. Both of them, both of them had burns on their left side. Wow. Were they large burns? Were they like the whole leg or just? It, it doesn't. You can look up pictures. Let me tell you, there's a plethora of pictures of the crime scene. Well, crime incident scene. I, we don't even know what to call this, really. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to look them up. Oh, they're, it's interesting. Can't not do it. And they uh, they show the bodies. Just be prepared. I mean, you know, it's black and, and I'm white. I'm going to be like it's wrapped 1950s. up in a blanket mm-hmm. in my room, but I have to do it. And they're, they're there. You know, how are they getting burned by fire? What caused them to climb up the tree in a hurry? Yeah, their cause of death on a the autopsy was hypothermia. So I have questions. <laughs> so they had injuries, but they weren't life-threatening. So mm. it was the hypothermia that killed okay. them. Okay. According to the Putting autopsy. that in my pocket <laughs> for now. Now, between the pine tree where Doranchenko and Krivenenchenko were found and the camp, okay, between those two areas, because Doranchenko and Krivenenchenko were about a mile away from the campsite. Mm-hmm. Between them, the searchers found three more victims. This is Igor Dyatlov, um, one of the females by the name, uh, her last name is Kolmo Gorova. Okay. And then a gentleman with the last name Slobodin. So they died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. And they were found at a distance of 300, 480, and 360 meters, which in in feet, this is 980, 1,570, and 2,070 feet from the from, tree. From, from the, the tree. tree headed like towards the campsite. Okay, from the tree that the other two were yep, the under. the pine tree that the other two were under. Okay. And it literally looked as though they had just fell dead right there while they were making their campsite. Wow. Just, bloop. it's not the sound it made, but that's. It uh, might have been. We, we don't, don't know. know. We weren't there. Yeah. Now, it's unsolved. So true. Like, they could have went bloop. <laughs> so Dyatlov was found face up and frozen in a position where he had a birch branch in one hand and he was shielding his face from something in the other. He had no internal injuries, but his cause of death was hypothermia. But it looked like he was like def- in a defensive position. So he he and Kalma Kalma Garova were actually dating. And there was a photo of her on his body, like uh, in a pocket, something. He had clothes on. And so, you know, I met on his person, on him. Yeah. Now, Slobodin was found face down in the snow with blood exiting from his nose. And he had a lot of cuts and bruises on his face, as well as a deep fracture in his skull that, although would have hurt like a SOB, would not have been fatal. He had bruises on the joints of both of his hands and the skin was completely ripped off from one of his forearms, indicating that he was possibly fighting something or someone off. So kind of like Dyatlov having that birch branch in his hand, he was like defending himself. Mm -hmm. He also had hemorrhages in his uh, temporalis muscles. And according to the autopsy doctor, when that trauma happened, 
when those hemorrhages happened. This would have caused him to completely lose function and coordination and what with whatever like force hit him, it would have been difficult for him to get his motor function to move like to to be oriented uh-huh. after that. But his cause of death was also hypothermia. Wow. So he is laying there they're him and Dyatlov both just laying they're, there. They're injured, but they're not um they're not dead they're from those yes, things. Yes, they're exactly. They're not and oh. and probably eventually the bleeding from the skull fracture, you know, I argue would probably have killed him eventually, but the hypothermia, I guess, got him first. Now, Kamala Gorova was found the farthest from the other two, and she had blood around her body in the snow, but it was unable to be determined if it was coming from her or from the others, but it was just surrounding her bo- body. Oh my gosh. Her oh. Uh, I know. Her autopsy showed that her cause of death was hypothermia due to a violent accident. So Okay. So like Slobodin, with the head injury and he wasn't like able to regain coordination, maybe? Like that was thing it wasn't there wasn't like a ton on her. Every single one of these is just so So it's like eerie. hypothermia because she had trauma to her body and couldn't tend to herself. Gotcha. Essentially. Wow. So but was she clothed? She was. Okay. Yes. Not fully. They're in like their they're the still night gear. Yeah. The... They're not fully clothed for like hiking. No, none of them were. So it's determined that all of these victims at this point in time had died of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. All of them that they had found. Mm-hmm. They have found five victims. And so that's what the narrative at the time it was being reported at, as, okay, like five, you know, five of the nine that they know are missing died of hypothermia. So news reports are going out, all that stuff. Now, unfortunately, it would be almost three months before the remaining four victims would be found. Oh, wow. Because they had to literally wait for spring and for the mountain to thaw before they could be found. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So the last four found were Brignoli's. Dubanina, Zolotarov, and Kolvatrov. I'm sorry. I'd love to be like, Kolvatrov. <laughs> and just like really sound like I know how to say some shit. And I don't, guys. You could go back through and okay. do like the word, the pronunciation thing and just put those Listen, in. Like, I put these the into, robot. I put them into Google Translate. And I'm telling you, she cried when I hit <laughs> when I hit the button. Even Google's to, like, you're on she's your like, own. Yeah. Cause sorry. It, I don't. I still don't know what she said. I have no idea. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to, phonetically it is. Here we go, She's guys. She's crying. She's like, I she can't is. Stop it. it. <laughs> yeah. I was born in Nebraska. Quit it. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. It, was, it, it wasn't it was good. So, you tried. Some of them I'm really confident about, but that last one that looks to me like Kolvatov, I, I could be way off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And Zolo Tarov. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to choke every time I try to say these words, so... Yeah, my master's degree only gets me so far it's in all, life. It does. I, I get it. <laughs> I hear you. So these four individuals um, were found along a creek that ran down a slope away from the tree that the first two people were found. Okay. Now their injur- injuries really started to change the narrative of the incident, which at this point had seemed like the group ran away from something in camp and died of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. These four grouplings of people, however, had some weird ass shit happen to them. As if it couldn't get any more oh, 
weird. It's we're going way up on the weird shit a meter right now. Oh boy. Because their cause of deaths were not hypothermia. Oh boy. As a matter of fact, they were wearing clothes, a lot of clothes. Some even ripped and tattered and belonged to some of the other hikers in the group, which could possibly explain why the first two victims found were in their underwear and lying side by side. I do wonder if they had moved their bodies, you know, laid them side by side and took their clothes. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So maybe they were all together at first or something. Perhaps. Well, or they stumbled upon them. They found them because this group of people lived longer than the rest of them oh, it wow. was determined so I think I personally would deduce that they stumbled up that they came upon them they were already, already dead. dead and they knew survival I need their clothes mm-hmm. okay they had so this group of four had dug into the ground and snow around them to try to stay warm which is a hiker survival strategy mm-hmm. and they placed branches around the snow-covered walls to help separate their body from the actual snow which is smart. There was also remnants of a small fire for them. They were able to build a small fire. The doctor that did, Dr. Boris, who did the autopsy, I will not attempt his last name. That is nearly the length of a sentence. <laughs> so um, we're just, he's well, just, he's doc- Boris is his first name. Okay. I'm going with it. That's all we, we need. Yep. Dr. Boris did the auto- autopsy on these four victims, and they had such extensive internal injuries that a that the good doctor compared it to a severe car accident. Oh. Yeah. But they had little, if any, external soft tissue damage like the others. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. So, so like it's they all had, internal. They had like no. And nothing on the outside? No bruising on the outside. No soft tissue damage. No. Yeah. Like the others only seem to have soft tissue damage. Yeah. With the exception of the one man that was foaming gray at the mouth, and they believed it was from a severe pressure on his chest. But his chest wasn't caved in that I saw in the autopsy. But it's, you know, I had to translate it. So This is all just so crazy. None of it makes sense. Right? This is what I'm saying. This has been the conundrum for decades. Yeah. And this is why. So what does not add up to me here is that it seems like the these groups of people were not experiencing one event. The three that were found seemingly walking back to the camp had no internal injuries, but did have external External. injuries, but no evidence that they made a fire or anything of that sort. The first two had time to make a fire. They had external injuries and, uh, and at some point they were up a tree. And then these four have time to dig in the snow you know, a little cave and build a fire and take clothes off others, then die of extensive internal injuries without any external injury. So it's like, this is how some Blair could it, Witch shit right? Going on. Like, how could this be one singular event? Now, Zol, uh, had a significantly, completely caved in chest. His chest cavity, completely, everything in it was broken. Oh. He also had five broken ribs on each side. Like, literally. Like, something had crushed him. Yep. But where's the bruising? Where's the soft tissue damage? Then, to make things even more strange, he was missing his eyes. Stop. His peepers, people. (laughs) They gone. I can't take any more. His eyeballs were gone. His eyeballs were gone, Amber. Someone crushed his damn chest, broke his some ribs, and took his eyes. 
The Blair Witch is real and she is among us. Well, not currently. Not now. Jesus, no. you just called her. Oh, like, God. I can't handle Oh, God. That. What did I do? What okay, erases. Erases. Right. Take back seats. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. This is so. And the, he's not even the worst. Let me get to the, oh, let me Lord. let me okay. get to the worst. There was an open wound on uh, on his head as well that was exposing bone on on one side of his head. Also, like okay, what's hitting what's hitting you so hard that it's exposing bone? The autopsy actually compares the wounds of Zolotarov and Dubinina because their pattern of injuries are so similar in force, direction, and injury that he says the same thing that I was thinking before. This could not have been caused by a singular event, like, say, possibly a weather event, because the two are very different in height, shape, weight, and body composition, but their injuries are almost identical. Wow. So think about that. Like, if an avalanche is hitting you, and you're six feet tall, and I'm five feet tall, the damage on our bodies when that snow hits us is going to be different, Mm -hmm. right? Is essentially what the good doctor is saying here. Mm -hmm. He's like... Their injuries were the same, but they have different body yeah. makeup, you know, or different, you know, different shape, size, height. How is that possible? Um, so Zolotarov even had his camera on his body. But why, though, if this was a sudden thing, even more strange is that the lone survivor, Yuri, who was, remember, was with the group but then got sick and had to stay back. He was like, when he was presented with the evidence, he's like, I've never seen that camera before in my life. Zolotarov had a secret camera. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Did they like were they able per, to play it, it? And it was for personal use. Strangely, the authorities claimed that the film was damaged. Oh god. But all of the cameras that the group brought as part of their hiking, you know, group experience, they were able to get some much later in life some film off of that one. Oh, yeah. this is so eerie. Right? There are people who think that 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 the film being damaged is complete BS. Mm-hmm. I'm lots with of those people. There's lots of theories out there. Now, Dubonino was found wearing a short-sleeved shirt, a long-sleeved shirt, two sweaters, undies, long socks, two pair of pants, a hat, and two pair of socks, and a cut-up sweater that was wrapped around her feet. And the outer layer of pants that she was wearing was burned, which to me says that perhaps she took them off from Kriven and Shanko. He was one of the first two victims found because mm-hmm. remember his leg was burned. Yeah. Okay. So I would think that she was wearing a pair of his pants. She also had the worst injuries. So be prepared. Her mouth was open like she had been was like she had been screaming, and her head was tilted, and she had bone exposed over her left temporal lobe area and did have some soft tissue damage on her face and she was missing some skin from her face but that could have been from frostbite she was also missing her eyes oh my gosh she was missing her mouth like guys her mf and upper lip was gone exposing her teeth and gums oh god this is so creepy and here comes the worst of it all her freaking tongue was torn out from the root. <gasps> her tongue. Her tongue was like gone, gone. Gone, gone. From the root. From the root. Tore out. I don't even know where the root is. Out. Me neither. I didn't know her How tongues you had even roots. Get it. Out. I oh my god. Don't gosh. know. From what this I can is tell. So creepy. It probably starts in your taint. And just <laughs> go like that's how I picture it. From I think taint it to tongue. It does. It is a deeply rooted. Yes. 
orifice. Or, it, no, organ. Or what is your? Yeah. I don't know. Muscle. Yeah, muscle. It's a deeply, it's a deeply rooted, rooted muscle. muscle. I'm telling you. Now, was there like blood everywhere? It was just mentioned, and it's not in the crime scene photos. Her nose was flattened, and she had four ribs broken on her right side and six on her left. She actually had massive hemorrhaging in some of the soft tissue in her heart, which was determined to be her cause of death. Okay. There is speculation that's like, you know, maybe some mountain critters came and ate the eyeballs in the tongue. I really don't know any critters that are ripping a tongue out yeah, for the record. Yeah. Chew, you know, yeah, eating it, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, like, okay, but, but ripping, ripping it, it out from the root where we've already established where the root is. <laughs> yeah, it's deep in there. <laughs> yes. So. What animal has those skills? I don't know. I, I, Gosh, this was, I'm it was the bumble. Sure. It was the abominable. Right? It was. Bumbles don't bounce. They, Bumbles rip they, out tongues. <laughs> and eyes. Yes. <laughs> Delicacies. And the other oh thing is, gosh. though, remember, they had to wait for the mountain to thaw. These bodies were under a tremendous amount of snow, like, that had blown over and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So critters weren't getting to them. They, that's true. Good point, because they had to wait for it to thaw. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess there could be, you know, reason to believe that from the time it thawed to the time they found them, maybe, Maybe. but I'm not, just the tongue by the root thing is where I'm like, ooh, okay, maybe biting off her upper lip, all right. Even with the eyes, though, like, I mean, a critter comes along and it's like, ooh, I'll treat myself. Yeah, this is a rare delicacy, human eyeballs. (laughs) Just plucks Right, like we do with caviar. Yeah. (laughs) But it's going to... Yeah, and it's going to leave the rest of the body? Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. That's where it doesn't make sense to me. And there's no bite marks. There's no indication like of like chewing. chewing. Or, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. What about with the lip? Was it just like cleanly taken off? It was off. off. Oh, yes, it was just. The chills that I'm getting. Off. Kolotov's autopsy wasn't very telling, to be honest with you. He had a broken nose and what was called a deck, a, a deck, a neck deformity, um, which was his cause of death. So a broken neck. He, he died of a broken neck. His was probably a lot faster than everybody else. But he was missing his eyebrows. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but of all the things. Right? Like, I feel like somebody was just like, oh, those are plucked and, nicely. And those Thank have got to go. Right. They're coming like, with They me. were like shaved It's just off. his eyebrows. No. They were the skin taken and all. off. They were oh. taken off. He's missing his eyebrows. Oh my god! And like, and that's another thing. That's like, an so animal's eerie. not doing that. An animal, an animal is not, is not like, give me them brows. But I'm gonna those leave high else. arches are yes. coming this way. <laughs> like, I don't what? mean to laugh, but holy cow! Right, of all the things, the eyebrows, like on both sides, equal, wow. equal sides, eyebrows gone. Also, wow. yeah, wow, that's the only thing he was missing, huh? Uh, yes. Brigonell had fractures in his temporal lobe and bruising, really bad bruising on his upper lip and a fracture in his forearm. But that that was it. Every single of the last four bodies all had the same complete crushing of their chest. Wow. All four of them had their chests so completely crushed that every bone was broken. That's there and remember they're all different shapes and sizes and mm-hmm. but like, it was the same injury. Yes. The same identical injury. So, of course, my question is going to be, were there other, like, footprints around that? Were there no things? No, but the wind's going to destroy all that, you know, could destroy all that evidence. Although they were still able to see footprints from the other camp, from the campsite. 
mm-hmm. the scattering of the footprints and one a foot and a boot print from the one person. So, but no extra, Mm-mm. possibly extra footprints. Not that, not that has been released Revealed. to the public. Oh my goodness! I mean, think about it, right? So. Yeah. Now, at the time, the official conclusion was that the group members had dies, died because of a compelling natural force. Compelling natural force, which I think is what we'll title this episode. Likely an avalanche, but also they're not ruling out the possibility of even a hurricane. Come on, people. A, cu- a hurricane. The hurricane's like, In and Siberia. his eyebrows are coming too. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no. <laughs> Yep. And those are coming with and me. And I'll take those. <laughs> and the Thank tongue, you. too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Wow. The inquest officially ceased in May 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party. And the files were sent to a secret archive. Now, before I take you into the theories, other than the avalanche one, let me tell you a couple of things that have happened since 1959. Yes, please do. In 1997, it was revealed that the negatives from um, Krivenenshenko's camera were kept in the private archives in one of the original investigator, Lev Ivanov. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm just going to keep these. Hmm. Yeah, from Krivenenshenko's camera. The film material was donated by Ivanov's daughter to the Dyatlov Foundation that's later, that has since been created and the diaries of the har- of the hiking party fell into Russia's public domain in 2009 so like they're they're public you can read them interesting mm-hmm. they are interesting now on April 12th 2018 Zolotrov's remains I'm and I'm not saying Zolotrov's whatever the dude whose name starts with Zolo Okay. The only part I can pronounce. His remains were exhumed on the initiative of journalists of the Russian tabloid newspaper. Contradictory. Contradictory. <laughs> the best. Officially a, a new, new word. word. Contradictory results were obtained. One of the experts said that the character of the of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car. And the DNA analysis did not reveal any similarity of the DNA of other living relatives. So basically, they're like, yeah, we exhumed his body, but guess what? He's not who we thought he was. Come again? Yeah. Literally. They exhumed his body, but like his DNA doesn't match his family's. So there's two theories. One, mom wasn't honest. Okay. I mean, think Could, about it. It happens. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It happens. We're not judging. No. We're not... Two, he they there is speculation that he was possibly a spy and was using a different name after World War Two. Okay, that uh-huh. could there's, that could there's more going on. There's more at play here than possible. One of the theories is that this dude was a spy during World War Two and he was wiped out and unfortunately his group was collateral. I was damage. just gonna say that theory could make sense of like that this gr- whole group mm-hmm. and you know. I mean, and he is the one that had the secret camera that Yuri didn't knew nothing about. So spies okay. keep secret cameras. They do, they do. So and that footage disappeared uh-huh. or was wasn't 
able to a be damaged. So th- I'm on board with that. Okay. I'm on board. So in February 2019, Russian authorities reopened the vet investigation into the incident. And although only three possible explanations were being considered, which was an avalanche, a slab avalanche, or a hurricane, because the possibility of a crime had been discounted. They're like, nope, it is not a crime. It is a uh, an extreme weather event. Yes. <clears throat> Oops, I hit my microphone. Yes. So in 2019, they're like, fine, we'll reopen it because everyone is so curious Everybody about what happened. Everybody's making a sting. Right. Fine, <laughs> fine. But we're only going to investigate it under the conditions of, was it an avalanche, a slab avalanche, or a hurricane? Wow. So they wouldn't consider they would anything else. They not consider anything else. On July... 11th, 2020, it was announced that an avalanche was the, quote, official cause of death for the Dyatlov group in 1959. Objection. Mm-hmm. I'm now, sorry. I'll give you evidence contradicting the avalanche theory. You don't say. <laughs> yes, let's, let's go through that. First is the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche having taken place. An avalanche would have left certain patterns and patterns and debris distributed over a wide area. The bodies found within a month of the event were covered with very shallow layer of snow. Mm-hmm. And had there been an avalanche of significant strength to sweep away the second party whose bodies would have been swept away as well, this would have caused more serious and different injuries in the process and would have damaged the tree line. Absolutely. You know that pine tree oh, they were found yeah. under? And they also wouldn't, I mean, they wouldn't have had time to get as far as they did, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't. Right. I'm Away from each other. I you don't get a, a large or a great deal of a heads up. Right. Of an avalanche When an avalanche coming. is coming. I mean, I mean you're going to hear the one. rumbling and the ground's going to shake. And you, and that's. Right. But. And at that point, to get I'm separate, done. Right. But, and you're building a fire? Yeah. With no yeah. clothes. I, it's, no, I'm sorry. Now, over 100 expeditions to the region has been held since the incident, and none of them have ever reported conditions that might create an avalanche. The study of the area using up-to-date terrain-related physics revealed that the location was entirely unlikely for such an avalanche to have occurred. The, quote, dangerous conditions found in, other, in another nearby area, um, which had significantly steeper slopes and um, cornices, were observed in April and May when the snowfalls of winter were melting. During February, when the incident occurred, there was no such conditions. They're like, and that was in a worse area. And there were none of those conditions even found in the worse areas in February. Yeah, I I, I am taking the avalanche theory off of my plate yes. because I'm not buying it. Well, I have three more contradictions to it. An analysis of the terrain and the slope showed that even if there could have been a very specific avalanche that found its way into the area, its path would have gone past the tent. The tent had collapsed from the side, but not in a horizontal direction. Dyatlov was an experienced skier and much older, uh, and the much older Zolotarov who was the possible spy, was studying for his master's certificate in ski instruction and mountain hiking. Neither of these two men would have been likely to camp anywhere in the path of a potential avalanche. Like, they would have seen the signs for like, oh, shoot, this could be dangerous. Look at all that snow up there. They would not have done it. Footprint patterns leading away from the tent were inconsistent with someone. 
let alone a group of nine people, running in a panic from either real or imagined danger. All the footprints leading away from the tent and towards the woods were consistent with individuals who were walking at a normal pace. Dun, dun, Interesting. Dun. And, and like you said, they were, I mean, they were spread out enough that these things happened like mm-hmm. over time. Not a singular event. Yes. Now here's some theory. Here's theories. Oh, I got so many going here's through some my theories. head. One of them that I think we can just throw out like right from the beginning is paradoxal undressing. And if you don't know what that is, it is basically a phenomenon where hikers' deaths have been caused by hypothermia because paradoxal undressing is basically where subjects remove their clothes in response to perceived feelings of burning warmth. Oh, okay. You know, from the cold, and it starts to burn, and I'm getting hot, so they undress. So they take their clothes off. Yep, and then, bam, now I've died of hypothermia. Okay, but... I mean, I feel like we can take that away considering only some of them were found without their clothes. Right. There was only two, right? Yep. Well, yeah, fully undressed. Two that were fully undressed. They were all in various states of dress, but still. There is catabotic wind suggestion. So a catabotic wind would have made it impossible to remain in the tent, and the most rational course of action would have been for the hikers to cover the tent with snow and seek shelter behind the tree line. On top of the tent, there was also a a torch left turned on, possibly left there intentionally so that the hikers could find their way back to the tent once the winds subsided. The expedition proposed that the group of hikers constructed like two shelters, one of which collapsed, leaving four of the hikers buried with the severe injuries observed. Were they um, all in the same tent? Yes. One tent, one big massive tent. That they were all in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I got no. a theory of ruin over here. Okay. But uh, go ahead. Well, there's also the infrasound theory. This hypothesis was brought forth by Donnie Yurkar's 2013 book, Dead Mountain. And that he is saying the wind is going um, basically like there, there was like a vortex that produced infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. According to this theory, the infrasound generated by the wind as a possible as it passed over the top of the mountain was responsible for causing physical discomfort and mental distress in the hikers. He claims that because of their panic, the hikers were driven to leave the tent by whatever means necessary and fled down the slope. By the time they were further down the hill, they would have been out of the infrasound's path and would have regained their composure, but in the darkness, they would have been unable to return to their shelter. The traumatic injuries suffered by by three of the victims were the result of their stumbling over the edge of a ravine in the darkness and landing on the rocks at the bottom. I was with it at first. I was, it was kind of where I was going with things, but not, not with the ending. Uh, Yes. Yeah. No. Now this is a big one. Military tests. There's in one speculation, the campsite fell within the path of the Soviet parachute mine exercise. This theory alleges that the hikers woken by loud, loud explosions, fled the tent in a shoeless panic and found themselves unable to return for supply retrieval. After some members froze to death, attempting to endure the bombardment, others commandeered their clothing only to be fatally injured by subsequent parachute mine concussions. There are indeed records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area around the time the hikers were there. 
parachute mines detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the Earth's surface, and they produce significant injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers. Heavy internal damage with relatively little external trauma. The theory coincides with the reported sightings of glowing. People had reported some orange orbs floating or falling from the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers. And there was some alleged photographs of them, but there, there's been the, no confirmation that of, of the parachute mines. Of there was the orbs flying. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, there's photographs somewhere, but we don't we don't really know. Basically, what they're saying is that some military. There's another theory as well because I will let you know another strange thing about this is that there was radiation found on some of the clothes. It tested positive for radiation, which further shoots forward the military uh-huh. testing gone wrong because the testing of radiological weapons is possible. Yeah, so there's there's some of the theories you can read, you know, read some more, but there's it will be. I guess my thing is like where my mind goes is that something something originated in that tent. Yes. That had that had them separated yep. and you said it was it was shredded from the inside. It was. So something happened something in there. Something scared them. Something from scared the them. And my other thought was was it one of them going mad that right, right. that you Maybe. know caused panic? They they That's got out. Point. They separated. You know, hmm. my, so my theory is something happened in the tent first, and then it okay. created the separation, and then from there, God knows what happened. Right, right. exactly. And it should be noted that there's like some discrepancies with the investigative materials, of course, and then the re investigations and whatnot, and and. Some evidence, you know, ended up lost, which makes it even more shady looking and sounding, you know. Yeah, Um, like something was clearly covered up. Another theory is that they were attacked by the Mansi tribe for being there. I'm like, okay. Now, the local tribesmen were known to be peaceful, and there was no trace evidence of anyone approaching the tent at all. Um, But it's possible that they were attacked and chased by animal wildlife. But there's no animal tracks to uh-huh. that. They're like, okay, maybe high winds blew one member away and the others attempted to rescue him. Like, there's just a lot. There's a lot of a lot it's, of arguments, a lot of speculation. But I just wanted everybody to know like what what we know so far in terms of what, what the injuries were, how this scene was stumbled upon, and then it's anybody's guess from there. But as of right now, as of two thousand and twenty, they still it don't is know. ruled as an avalanche. Oh my gosh. Contra- even though none of that makes sense. It was yeah. it's it was an avalanche. Just the mm-hmm. nature of the injuries. Right. It's some something. Right? Something. Not not an avalanche. And then part of me was like did they all go mad against well, each other? I like- hadn't thought about that and I mean that's an interesting thought. Did one of them, and did one get violent mm-hmm. that's and become where, a threat? Yeah, that's where my my mind all, it goes back to that tent. That's the place of origin. Clearly something happened where they shredded their way out of that tent, yeah. and then something happened. They I like, separated. I like your theory, and I haven't read that one. I have not stumbled well, upon that. Today. So, yep, we got to add that. Well, Get on the Wikipedia and the, add that the one group in there. clearly separated, and they clearly both made attempts to, like, seek shelter. 
yes. to, you know, to and hide or whatever. And to survive until they could very, find them. Very separately. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I don't know. I just kind of, that, that makes me wonder too. Because um, being in the mountains that long, I don't yep. know. It could do right. something to right. your mental health. Exactly. Or if somebody was sick, like got sick and then it hallucinations happen. We just, we don't. We yeah. don't know, other than the diaries seem to indicate that everything was normal up to that point. No one in the diaries had said, you know, so Dubanina's going a little mad or anything like that. Yeah. That's been released to the public. So, My goodness. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Bone chilling. Well, I was I knew about this case before they reopened it. So then once they reopened it, I was like, oh my gosh, what are they going to find? And then they're like, avalanche. You know, avalanche. Still a compelling natural force. Avalanche. How compelling is that? Right. Gosh. How about, you know, you gave me the idea last episode about looking on Rolling Stone. Like, what does Mm. Rolling Stone have for us today? Mm -hmm. Well, they've got a bandit that gets stuck in a chimney. Oh. And I've got to wonder, I bet this happens more often than not. Where people are like, Santa can get his fat ass down there. I'm fine. Why can't I? Yeah. A man in Ridgecrest, California, attempted to rob a home by sneaking in through the chimney. In a move known as the reverse Santa. Like I love that there's thing. a move. There's a move. Oh, yeah, I see. The reverse Santa got him. The reverse Santa. Oh, my gosh. Keith I love it. Schultz climbed into the chimney, but that's as far as he got, as he severely misjudged its width. Desperate for help, his female partner in crime allegedly tried to break into the house to help him, which police believe triggered the home's burglar alarm. So then she called the police for help before escaping into the night. <laughs> like, peace, baby. I don't want to go Good down luck. with you, but Good I'll luck, call baby. the police. baby. You got this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Meanwhile, firefighters pried Schultz free from the chimney. He was taken into police custody, custody where he posed for a mugshot covered in soot, a headshot that could surely get him cast in a local stage production of Oliver Twist. Tell, which, tell me you've got this mugshot. Of course shot. I do. We've got to post it. <laughs> Look at him too. Look at how he's sucking on his bottom lip. Like he God, this is like, like yep. Damn they got it! Me. Mm-hmm. If only I had went in head first <laughs> instead of the reverse Santa. <laughs> that would have been golden. Reverse Santa. Uh, um, so, I just uh, I lost my train of thought. What I was going to say. Never mind. I lost it. Okay. All right. Carry on. All right. On. Well, maybe next time you'll yeah, remember. Maybe, maybe. Join us next time when R- Amber regains her memories. Yes. Uh, yeah, follow us on socials, leave us a review wherever you're listening to from, please, please, please. And we're doing a giveaway for it. Yeah. Keep it curious, yeah. guys. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye.